0: It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist.
1: Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association.
0: Now joining the Big Show, senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick, on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
2: All right, out to the zone phone we go. Joining us now, senior NBA writer from The Athletic, our good friend Sam Amick. Sam, what's going on? Good afternoon, guys. Good afternoon. We were just kind of teasing uh, your work and talking about uh, Jordan Clarkson. Really enjoyed uh, you breaking down the trades over the last year. I thought the whole thing was really good. But, uh, of course, you gave an analysis on on the Jordan Clarkson trade last year and how that's worked out for the Jazz. Talk about that a little bit, because people around here think it worked out pretty well. (laughs)
0: Well, people around there are pretty smart then. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's one of the most impactful trades I can remember in terms of, you know, like the way that it, it landed at the time and people kind of, you know, not that people shrugged, but people kind of said, okay, you know, Clarkson's been a guy who can score, but mostly for bad teams. And, and like I wrote, if you remember the one playoff run in Cleveland where, you know, you get kind of that honor of being somebody who's going to be on a LeBron team and try to, you know, win the whole thing. He had a hard time, you know, he played about 15 minutes a game and, it wasn't all that effective. Um, so I certainly didn't see it going this way. And for him to turn into a guy that, you know, obviously coming off the bench, but, you know, he is in that vein of kind of Lou Williams and, and then some, you know what I mean? I mean, he's dropping 40 plus on some nights and just a fantastic move. And, and, you know, on the flip side of that, it reminds you like the, I guess the frailty of the game itself. You feel for a guy like Dante Exum, who by all accounts, you know, was willing to put in the work and, and a very talented guy that just couldn't stay healthy.
1: You know, Sam, I had forgotten about uh, the lack of production from uh, Jordan Clarkson in that playoff series, Uh, and you pointed it out and it brought it all back. And for Jazz fans who are watching Jordan Clarkson right now, imagine this, you said he played in that playoff situation 15 minutes he scored 4.7 points shot 30 percent overall and 23.9 percent from three i mean jazz fans are watching this guy do this and that's pretty hard for them to even imagine
0: a hundred percent and i mean you know like i tried to kind of break down and i did make a few calls to connect with the jazz and get their insight on how it's gone and then you know one of the main things that if you were comparing the two situations, now I can't speak too much to, you know, Jordan's mindset during that time in Cleveland. But you know that I, th- I think it's probably safe to assume that his confidence was not at the level it is now. He was not empowered in the way that he is now, and, and so that is something where you got to bring in the coaching staff and Quinn Snyder and his crew and give them credit for for giving him the green light because you know players like Jordan a lot of times if you get a coach. Who likes to keep a kind of a tighter rope and not give that green light? Then you don't kind of get the best out of them at some point. And you know it's not just Quinn though; it's the guys on the floor. I mean, it's funny. I remember talking to Joe Ingles on the kind of the uh, the backside of the COVID situation in March, uh, and, and about everything they went through together in Oklahoma City. And he would tell the story about how in OKC. Jordan's locker, I think, was right next to Joe. And, and this is like a real subtle thing, but it jumped out at me that, that Joe would, uh, was called Jordan J.C. And he said it, like, real affectionately. And I've I got to admit, at the time, I, I'm sitting there going, J.C., who the hell is he talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and it took me a second, and, and you know, and, and you almost felt stupid because there was such an affinity. And, and you know, I, I got it after a few seconds. But that was kind of the first time that you could tell that, like, You know, his teammates uh, were believing in him and and he was, you know, like legitimately part of their group. But, you know, what he's doing right now is just incredible. And and I heard you guys kind of alluding on the, uh, when you brought me in today about the Mike Conley factor. And that that part of it is crazy, too. If you look back at the idea that, you know, Conley was was frustrated early on in his tenure in Utah and feeling guilty about it, you know, and then when he gets hurt, they kind of go shopping for somebody to help on the wing. and, And lo and behold, here comes Jordan.
2: All right, Sam. Well, uh, with this in mind, with this uh, topic came up on the postgame show a couple of weeks ago. I can't even remember which game it was after. But uh, we, we were talking about whether or not this was the best non-draft day trade in Jazz history. And, and we put it out there to listeners, too. And the other, the only other one that rivals it and maybe even surpasses it, and here's where I want your expertise, was, of course, when the Jazz traded Jeff Malone— and a first round draft pick to Philadelphia in exchange for Jeff Hornacek, Sean Green and a 1995 second round draft pick. So Sam, which was the better trade? The Jordan Clarkson <laughs> deal or the Jeff Hornacek deal?
0: <laughs> Man, that that's a tough one. I know, you know, I know there's a a lot of nostalgia for for Hornacek and the part that he played in their history. Maybe I'm having recency bias, but I feel like I'll give it to to Jordan. I don't have, you know, uh, Jeff's numbers in front of me, but I don't remember, you know, and I, I followed those Jazz teams closely as a guy that was kind of enjoying the game in that era, but uh, I don't remember routine 40 pieces. You know, I remember a, a lot of a lot of buckets, but, you know, this is, uh, uh, I feel like on a different tier.
1: Uh, Sam, I think I would go with Hornacek on that, just because the Jazz had Stockton and Malone for a long time. It wasn't until they got Hornacek, who was a facilitator, and in those days, the Jazz ran no plays for him. He could have scored a lot more than he did, and there were times when he really helped them. So, but I will say this. If Jordan Clarkson keeps this pace up, well, we're going to have to reconsider as time goes by. One, one of the things that stood out to me in what you wrote was – and you alluded to Quinn Snyder having the, the 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 brain power, I guess, to recognize how to utilize Jordan Clarkson and how to fit him into the jazz structure and how to, like you said earlier, let him go. I mean, that's that's a bit of coaching brilliance, isn't
0: it? Yeah, it really is. It, it is for sure, and especially you know with the landscape of like the guys on the perimeter. For them, if you kind of take a step back and think about what he's trying to navigate at the time, you got a young, talented guy in Donovan Mitchell who's already, you know, starting to go towards All-Star level, but also trying to develop and find his way, and you got to keep his confidence high. And, and you know, at that point, now he knows that he's being considered along with Rudy, the you know, the two franchise centerpieces. But you have to keep him in a good place, and there's only one ball. You know, then. You're adding Mike colleague, And and even though he's a vet, he spent you know, his whole career with Mark Gasol and Memphis running one kind of system like he's talked about, so he's going through an adjustment. You know, you're already having to kind of, you know, kind of pay attention to those two dynamics. Um, and now here comes a guy in Jordan where if you let him go, you know, he, he might take the whole darn thing over and make the other guys kind of question, you know, how big of a piece of the pie they have, if that makes sense, offensively. And for him and that staff, to figure that out is huge. And without going too far, I also feel like, I mean, it's funny because as much kind of stability and and harmony as there's been in Utah the last couple of years, the longer they've been the coach, the longer the Dennis and that same group in the front office has been there, I'm guilty of, you know, this is, I guess, a league-wide perspective, kind of feeling like, all right, the, the bloom's going to be off the roads at some point because inevitably, when there's not a championship involved, you know, there's just not harmony forever. I feel like the Jordan thing is just kind of, you know, showing us that, that right now, uh, you know, they keep evolving and they keep, you know, staying together in the kind of way that is going to prolong what they have. And, and it takes these kinds of developments, you know, the, the easiest way to, like I said, to stay together in general is to, to go raise a trophy together. But, but this is the kind of thing that I didn't necessarily see coming when they lost to Denver. And the kind of thing that I think is, is kind of extending their shelf life and giving them a, a longer window to try to to go in the whole thing.
1: And, Jake, if you don't mind me just butting in here with one other item about this, it's that one of the reasons Cleveland, you point this out, was eager to offload Jordan Clarkson was because they didn't think they could re-sign him because he was going to be a free agent. Well, the Jazz right. create this environment for him that is pleasing to him, and he enjoys it, and he likes the, the feel of the team. And so he, he happily re-signs with the Jazz, and, and, and now they're they're reaping those benefits. So, The Jazz must have been fairly confident that if things worked out, that they were going to embrace him enough to want him to want to stick around.
0: Well, and real quickly to that point, Gordon, you make a really good point. I I feel like in the media we're always way too guilty of a trade happens and it's who won and lost this trade. And even if you look back on it, who won it, who lost it, you're talking in a lot of cases about apples and oranges in terms of the context. And that matters a lot. I don't really think you can blame the Cavs, you know, for making a quote-unquote stupid trade here. Because everybody involved agrees Jordan was not coming back to Cleveland. He was a lost asset, if you will. I, you know I, I kind of hate referring to players as assets, but in terms of the contract, you know his time in Cleveland was up. So they take a flyer on Dante, and, and ultimately they ended up moving Dante to Houston. and so he plays a small part in them landing Jared Allen and Torian and Prince. So you can kind of say that, that they salvaged something out of that deal. But you know that's where good front office is scour the entire league's landscape, figure out where are there situations where we could benefit from where somebody else might be in a kind of a no-win situation or, or a place where they're going to be willing to bargain because you know they, uh, they don't have a future with a certain player.
2: So, Sam, as good as the Jazz have been, uh, they've won 20 out of 21, as you know. I I still see fans from other teams and and some national pundits, although a little less so, still uh, compare the Jazz to the Hawks of a few years ago that were so good, but then, of course, ended up uh, flaming out. Is, is, Is this a case where the Jazz really can't? Uh, get those people or or win those people over to their side, really, until they do something in the playoffs? Because I I still am just astonished. 20 of 21, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that.
0: Yeah, I don't know, Jake. I I feel like, um, for one, like you said, that's, that's the minority of the crowd at this point. I haven't seen a lot of that. But I feel like people who have that view, it's probably mostly born out of just to, it's the the makeup of the roster because for one Donovan Star does continue to get brighter, you know, but it's not as bright as a James Harden or a LeBron or you know any of those types of guys. So you know right away your biggest quote unquote star is not as uh, well known as you know some of the guys that he's beating on a nightly basis. Rudy is you know in that same vein, and then from there it does become a, a kind of a, a formula where it's all about depth and you've got you know just a, a cast of characters that are not household names so I think that's mainly the thing people I probably blame you know and this is I, I say blame lightly you know people are busy in their everyday lives and so the casuals as they're kind of called these days casual fans that you know they might know 10 20 30 NBA players but if, if you kind of ask them to understand why this this plucky team out in Utah is winning every night and you don't give them a name to you know to kind of process that they're familiar with, you know then they probably doubt it and say yeah you know tell me what lebron's doing you know and that's just kind of human nature but they're earning respect on a nightly basis they're winning even those games when they don't play all that well which i think is a sign of a really good team they're winning when they got guys out of the lineup i mean they've obviously been without mike for quite a few games right now and had bouts without donovan where they kept winning and and uh you know that's impressive and they seem to uh to also keep their perspective on the big picture and know that, you know, while they are enjoying themselves, you know, you don't you don't want a championship a couple months into the regular season.
1: Yeah, Sam, I have, that's one of the reasons I really like having you on the show. You've always been that way where you're very objective, but you're nobody's fool and you've been waiting to see this yourself right when we've peppered you with questions about the jazz you always uh, kind of say yeah this is positive this is positive but you know we'll, we'll have to wait and see how it turns out and and so now you can be a little more optimistic about it because you believe what you see with their eyes right
0: yeah for sure for sure and you know i i just think that i think i've said this on the show a couple times they left a kind of a mental mark on me in my experience in the bubble with, you know, which I think I've shared with you guys before, that professionally that, like, there was just something different about uh, kind of being in that space with players and coaches and getting, you know, an even closer look at them as people as we normally would, even in an arena. There's something about, you know, you're talking about quiet hallways inside a, a fairly uh, kind of, you know, not very populated environment as opposed to typically seeing then sat in an arena with 18,000 people and and media everywhere and chaos. And so, you know, seeing Utah up close and kind of how they felt the game and and how they felt about each other left a mark with me. But, again, I didn't see this coming. Uh, And, you know, you see the the competitiveness of all these guys. We talked before about how this thing was kind of ripe to break up, you know what I mean, like it go back to March and April, you know, and then heading into the bubble. It had all the makings of a, a group where we'd be talking about what might have been because they just couldn't stay on the same page. And uh, you know, it, in that sense, it's pretty remarkable that they are where they are.
2: Sam, uh, you've, uh, you mentioned your work in the bubble, and, and uh, I've got to give you uh, uh, props because not only have you done a, an incredible job covering the NBA, but you've also done an incredible job covering the NBA in the coronavirus era. And uh, with that in mind, you have your latest up at The Athletic. Where you had a chance to talk to uh, Dr. Leroy Sims and um, tell us a little bit about the piece, but tell us about kind of this underlying drama that's going on with the NBA, the players, and vaccination.
0: So, um, Dr. Sims is a, a guy who's he's worked with the NBA, the league since 2018. Used to work for the Warriors, you know, did work with USA Track and Field, Stanford Medical School, pretty decorated physician and a guy who this is one of my favorite parts is a guy who still works in, inside a good old-fashioned ER down in the San Francisco Bay area so he ran the bubble from the medical side got a lot of well-deserved credit for that um, but you know that was a success story that that kind of came and went and now as, as athletes know it's kind of what have you done for me lately and Dr. Sims now is the, is the person who is essentially leading the way with you know with the NBA talking to players about their vaccination efforts and right now it's in the education stage the players can't get the vaccine yet but the league is well aware that a, you know i don't know the numbers but a great deal of players uh, do not want to take the vaccine or have concerns about it and a lot of them you know this this is not all the way across the board but a, a great many of them it, it's rooted in the kind of fears and skepticism that you know you have a league that is you know, vast majority of African-American players and in the black community as it has been pretty well chronicled. There's a lot of concern. Uh, and again, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but uh, a lot of concern about the medical industry in general. There's a lot of pretty shameful history in our country of, of uh, black folks being mistreated on the medical side. And a lot of these players grew up um, in, in different ways, kind of being told to, to be cautious and you know, to be wary about what you put in your body. And so, that's where they're at right now. The league had wanted and hoped that players would be kind of out there taking part in uh, vaccine education efforts, you know, maybe commercial spots with LeBron James and Steph Curry and Donovan Mitchell, guys like that, where they, you know, they come out and tell the public the vaccines kind of the way we get out of this pandemic, you know, trust it, go, go get your vaccine shot today. And, and you guys I'm sure have seen that the league has already done that with some of its older, retired players, you know, Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and and that crowd um, has seemingly cooperated with the NBA's plan, and the players, it's been a tougher sell. And, you know, so uh, Dr. Sims has been doing team-by-team virtual meetings, uh, All you know, all 30 teams, a Zoom meeting per team, talking about their questions, their concerns, and, and having tough conversations. And I should point out, he's a black man and somebody who, as he talks about is, is trying to mix his life experience with his medical experience, admitting to the players in these meetings that back in November, when the vaccine first got offered to him, he didn't want to take it at first because he had not studied all the data, wanted to know more about the clinical trials and side effects and, and really know the information. And so, you know, he eventually got the vaccine. He's now trying to, you know, assuage some of the players concerns and, and see if they can't, uh, you know, when, when it's ready for them and when it, they don't want to jump the line, but when it is their turn that, uh, that the players take
1: it. There is a little bit of irony there considering of all the the, uh, the uh, sports associations, uh, the NBA seems to have been following the science as well as any other has. And so to have this come up now, I can't speak to the complications of what you were talking about there, but, uh, but Sam, that's... Uh, Uh, Based on what I read, uh, it seems like the science says it's a good thing to do. I mean, mean, maybe the players, it'll dawn on them, you know.
0: No, I I agree with you, Gordon. Uh, I think the problem, and I will say humbly that I I sent my editor a note today. I was like, man, this is another another day on this job where I just, you know, as much as I like basketball, I I really enjoy what I end up learning. I felt like I was in school today. There was a lot of stuff about the history that I wasn't aware of, I knew about the, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment where for 40 years, you know, a lot of black folks were having their bodies, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, experimented on without their knowledge. And so that's the most often cited example of uh-huh. essentially medical malpractice in the black community. But as, as one of my colleagues today had, had highlighted to me, he's like Sam, and, you know, he's a black man, was like, he goes, I'm kind of tired of everybody citing Tuskegee because there are dozens upon dozens of examples. There's stuff from the gynecology industry that, that has been extremely problematic. There's, you know, the story of Henrietta Lacks, you know, who I didn't know this until today, that Oprah actually starred in a movie featuring, uh, you know, this woman whose uh, cancer cells were taken without her knowledge and and used, you know, in testing. Um, And, you know, that even became a movie that's on HBO to this day. I think just two years ago they made that. So that's the backdrop where, to your point, Gordon, yeah, the vaccine and the information and the data and the science all lead to one conclusion, which is hey, everybody, go get your vaccine. Um, but it's all these other examples where uh, a lot of folks have said, okay, but I've kind of been trained to, to to not trust, you know, medicine.
1: Man, that's heavy stuff, Sam. Heavy, heavy,
0: no doubt. It really is. And it's not, I think that like the media narrative and the discussion, it's, it's progressed and it's gotten better in terms of providing this kind of context. Um, but this is not, <laughs> kind of a bad reference, this is not QAnon conspiracy thought. This is stuff that, like when I did, you know, when I did my research today, you know, every place we're citing, we linked to a bunch of articles in my piece where, you know, you're talking about the CDC website, you're talking about, um, you know, history.com, you know, national all of these places that are extremely reputable, that that, that have chronicled the history, uh, but I hate to say it, if it's, this is what we're sometimes guilty of just in society is like, if it's not your community, and, you know, and I'm a white man, so it hasn't been mine, if it's not your community, you don't know it. And, you know, that's that's largely why I think it's not part of the discourse. Good stuff, good stuff. Great
2: stuff, yeah, really enjoyed it and would encourage our, our listeners to go give it a read. And the, the piece on the trades was great, too. And, Sam, we always appreciate you dropping by. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Talk to you next week. Absolutely. Our friend Sam Amick, senior NBA writer from The Athletic, and certainly a highlight of the week every time he's able to jump on with us. And and really, his last uh, his last two pieces, all his pieces are really good, but his last two uh, were good in particular. His breakdown on Jordan Clarkson in that trade was great.
1: Oh, I thought so too. And when you read what Sam writes and you hear what he says there, that's just a punch to the gut, Jake.
2: Yep. Yep, no but doubt. Sad,
1: sad, sad history, man.
2: More next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.